Well, happy Easter to you. It's great to see you. Uh, you've picked a great day to be in church. This is uh, far and away the most important day in the Christian calendar. Actually, it is the most important day in the history of the world. If we think about what the significance of Jesus rising from the dead is, and uh, it really is what all of history revolves around. Now, some people, you know, doubt, did the resurrection really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Well, if he didn't, it's probably one of the greatest hoax ever committed. Uh, and the people who would have committed it wouldn't have believed in the hoax themselves. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, well, it's, it's well documented, it's verified, and it's what the Bible teaches. So what we want to be able to do today is to look at the significance of the resurrection. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to look at John chapter 20. And uh, Jesus has three kind of first encounters with people. Now, this already is amazing. Jesus appears, after he rises from the dead, he appears 11 times. Now, if you were going to rise from the dead, what would you do like after you came back? Like you call a press conference? You'd, you'd rent out a huge venue. Like, you'd want a few people to know. Well, what Jesus does is he talks to a few people. That already describes the nature of God in the most remarkable of ways. That when he rises from the dead, the first thing that he does is talk to a few people and comfort them. And what we can find in these first three encounters is an understanding of the significance of the resurrection. And what I want you to notice is there's going to be a progression between these three. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene, uh, uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and then what's called Doubting Thomas. Wouldn't you hate to be known for all of history as Doubting Thomas? But that's who he is. So we're going to look at each one of these in turn. Let's look first at Mary Magdalene. It says in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. What is the first experience that somebody has after Jesus uh, dies? They don't know at this point. She doesn't know at this point that he's risen from the dead. What's her first experience? Well, it's grief. I don't think there's a more common human experience than grief. I think if we went through this room, each one of us would have a story of, of loss, of depression, of injustice, of things not working out the way that we hope that they would work out. I think every one of us here can understand what grief is about. My father died when I was uh, 16 years old. And I remember thinking, this isn't right. This isn't the way that, this isn't the script that I thought I would be living. And after that time, there are things that I still am longing for that I don't see happen in my life or in the people around me that I love. We all live inside of some kind of grief, don't we? That life isn't exactly what we hoped it would be. So why would the resurrection be so important in the midst of grief? In, uh, in another portion of the Bible, listen to what this verse says. It says, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Everybody's going to grieve. Everybody's going to go through difficult times. That's just what life is like. But there's something about believing that Jesus rose from the dead, that we grieve in a way that is somehow full of hope. And the hope is this, 
that death or loss do not have the last word. You see, outside of Jesus, outside of Jesus uh, raising from the dead, uh, death is the end. And you can see how much energy people put in to the here and now, because this is all we've got. But what we see in Jesus is that it's actually possible to grieve, to go through things that are not the way that they should be, and to actually, on the other side of that, have a greater experience of life. This is remarkable. And so what we have at the very core of Christianity is that death and loss, disappointment and heartache, do not have the last word in our life. That it's possible to have life after death. So where have you lost hope in your life? Where are things that have happened to you that have not gone the way that you hoped that they would go? Perhaps the loss of a loved one, not getting the the job that you dreamed of, having things happen to you that are not supposed to happen to people. Where have you lost hope that maybe you think that that's all that can be and I'm forever going to be defined by those moments? Well, the resurrection offers something beyond those experiences, a hope that is beyond the grave. So this is the first thing that we see in this simple encounter with Mary Magdalene. It's the first thing that we see that signifies the significance of the resurrection, that God gives us hope beyond the grave. And then he meets with his followers. It says in verse 19 that the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So this is a group of people who have given their whole life to following a particular spiritual leader, and he just died. And the, uh, the religious leaders of the day did not like them. And so it's kind of a, a, you know, a double moment of, of fear where what has happened to our leader, and now he's gone and everybody hates us. Now what are we going to do? What we see in this moment is that there's something that precedes grief, and it's fear. You know, grief is experiencing something that we, a loss, something that we didn't want to have happen. Well, fear is the anticipation of that. Fear says, there's, I just feel like something's not going to go the way I hope it would go. You know, when you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, whether the fear is really physical or the fear is emotional, relational, there's something inside of us that we're anticipating something dark is about to happen. Fear is the anticipation of grief. And what's the greatest fear? It's the loss of love. In 1 John 4, 18, it says this, another verse in the Bible, it says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think it's our greatest fear is to live a loveless life. I'm pretty sure in this room living in Canada, we're going to do fine being able to eat. Um, hopefully have a place to, uh, I don't know if you can be right in Vancouver, but at least a place to stay. Um, but if we don't have love, we can't survive. And the appropriate response to having a life that isn't fully made complete in love is anxiety. In our church, we talk a lot about this word anxiety because the Bible talks a lot about it. 
It is the word that captures what life is like outside of God. It's full of anxiety. And listen to how this works. Um, we, uh, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't have an experience of God's love. That means that we're on our own. And out of that comes this anxiety. And out of that anxiety comes reactive decisions. You've heard of fight or flight? It's all traced back to not knowing that God is love. And so how does the resurrection impact this idea of living in anxiety, of not sure sure which end is up, feeling like we're all on our own and we have to manage life on our own? How does the resurrection apply to this? Well, in Romans chapter 8, it says this, neither death nor life, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, this is remarkable. Doesn't doesn't love feel fragile to you? You know, the relationships that we have, isn't, you know, Aren't people going to reject us? And and how do we keep them? And here we have that not even death can separate us from the love of God. No matter what would happen in the present or the future, it doesn't matter that there's something about the love of God that was proven through Jesus rising from the dead that even death can't separate us from the love of God. In another place in the Bible, it says, perfect love drives out fear. When you know you're loved, and when you know that love can't ever be stolen from you, fear dissipates. Fear dissolves in the face of love. This is why Jesus can say, peace be with you. It's a peace that kind of, it's okay. Yeah, there's disappointments, there's grief, There's lots of uncertainty. But I know the one who holds my life in his hands. I'll never be separated from him. He controls my future and he's with me in my present. I can experience peace in the midst of uncertainty and anxiety. So we see grief as being perhaps the the thing that we, you know, we don't want to experience uh, more than anything else. And then we find out what's behind that grief, which is fear. We're afraid of those things happening to us. But there's yet another level that's recorded in John chapter 20 that's worth looking at. And this is our deepest struggle in life, and it's unbelief. And this is where Thomas comes in. Now, Thomas, I'd like to read it again. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So this is already a sign of, of how Thomas is doing. He's not with his friends. He's full of anxiety, fear, discouragement, grief. It's all happening, and he doesn't want to be around anybody. Fortunately, he comes back in a minute. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side where the spear stabbed Jesus, I won't believe. Now, this takes us to a very interesting place. Nobody wants to experience grief. 
Nobody signs up to be anxious, but it seems underneath those two things is this idea of mistrust and unbelief. And this is the hardest thing of all. And so how do we manage not trusting in God? We want evidence. I'm not going to believe in God until I see this, this, and this. And we hold God hostage with our demands. I remember I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. First time I'd ever heard about Jesus. I'd never heard of Jesus before. I mean, I, I heard the name, but I didn't know who he was or what he had done. The first time I ever heard about Jesus, I became a Christian. I gave my life to him and trusted him. But uh, over the, the coming uh, weeks and months, I go, did I make the right decision? I'm a little kid. What do I know? Maybe I made a wrong decision. Oz are high. And so I said to God, look, um, you know, you're almighty God. You can do whatever you want. And uh, so here's what I'd like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out uh, onto the street in front of my house at, uh, at 2 p.m. tomorrow. I gave him some lead time. I know he's a busy man. And so I says, I'm going to walk out. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk outside, and, and I just want to see an angel. I just, I just, I just want to see an angel. It's a reasonable request. I'm a little kid. I could use some help. And so, uh, so at, at 2 o'clock, I, I, I walk out onto the street, uh, you know, our street outside of our home, and there's no angel. And I go, okay, I, okay, I know that you're busy. Tomorrow at two o'clock, I'll be back, and I'm hoping you will be too. I come back two o'clock the next day, and there's no angel. And I thought, what are you doing to me? Like, for sure you can do that. For sure. This is not that hard for you, and you won't do that. That's not fair. I want to pout a bit. I just want evidence. Now, it wasn't until about, uh, I don't know, 30 years later that I did see an angel. But what happens in between that time? What happens in between that time is knowing that there's never enough evidence to overcome skepticism. If, If we have an unbelieving heart, it just gets verified wherever we look. Have you noticed that? It's we're preconditioned. It's just if we believe something, there's just evidence for it. And here's what's equally remarkable. If you learn to trust, there's evidence for that as well. Isn't that amazing? Now, it sounds weird, doesn't it? So in order to trust, I need to trust. Well, you're already doing the opposite. In order to not believe, you need to not believe. So so we can choose. But Thomas isn't there right now. Thomas is at the place where I just want evidence. I want proof. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So that's good news. He's moving in the right direction. Though the doors were locked, so still lots of fear with these early Christians, lots of fear. The doors are locked. Though the door 
though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like the doors are locked. Like that's very cool. I don't know how he got in there. I don't know how you go through walls. I don't know that. But the doors are locked and Jesus Christ is standing in the room. Man, wouldn't you want to be there? That's too cool. And he says, peace be with you. Like, there's a whole bunch of reasons to say that. Because <laughs> they are freaking out. Someone new is in the room, in a locked room. I would say, peace be with you too. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. This, isn't this kind of God? Just so kind. He says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out and put your hand and put it, reach out your hand and put it into my side. You can still see the hole where somebody stabbed a spear in me. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, and I think Jesus is telling us, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's what's remarkable about that. You could, you, over the years, you could doubt that. Was it a hallucination? Was it really him? Was it a hoax? What's, but when trust comes in your heart, it can't get stolen from you. There's something deeper than evidence, believe it or not, and it's called faith. And as we grab hold of faith, it becomes an unshakable foundation that allows anxiety to dispel and grief to not overwhelm us. So here's how it goes again. Let me just say it one more time because it's helpful. Here's the challenge that all of us face. We mistrust God. That's called like all society, all right? So we mistrust God. And then we think God's not in control. So if God's not in control of this mess we call our life, if God's not in control of that, well, I should freak out. And then we get anxious. And then in our anxiety, we self-protect. And if I can't trust in God to look out for me, I'm going to have to trust in myself. And I know I'm not that great. So I've got a lot of work to do. I've got to make my life smaller. I've got to get smarter and work harder and have some luck on my side. And I've got to make this thing work because who else is going to look out for me? And then in that anxiety, we make all kinds of unhealthy decisions. And what, in the worst of all, what we end up doing is blocking out the very hope and love that our heart so desperately needs. This is the grand tragedy of anxiety, of fear is that the very ways that we protect ourselves from being hurt and grieving, the, the, the mechanisms that we use to do that also prevent us from receiving hope and finding love. It's so tragic. And so our life kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The very things that we are afraid of happening end up coming upon ourselves. So how then does the resurrection help in this last scenario? 
Well, everyone trusts. Uh, you know, you hear some people describe Christianity as a crutch. And, uh, it's, you know, it's a faith. And it makes it sound as though there's a way to live that's without faith. That's an impossibility. Every single one of us in this room, whether we believe in Jesus or, or some other God or whatever, we all have faith in something. And that faith can never be perfectly proven, can it? I think of the most popular thing that I choose to trust in myself, other than God, is myself. Well, it is thoroughly unproven that I should trust in myself. Well, that's just a bad idea, because I have a track record, and that's not smart to trust in me. I highly recommend, don't do that. Everyone trusts. Maybe we trust in luck or hard work. Maybe we trust in another person. And, uh, uh, and we say, you know, uh, you know, what's the famous line? You know, uh, you complete me. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Yeah, for a bit. For a little bit. Be everything for me. I'm sure that the primary reason why relationships don't work today is not because we aren't committed is that eventually the other person doesn't quite fulfill all that our heart longs for. And so we try to move on in the hope of trusting someone else to perhaps meet all of our needs. But it's far better to trust in the one whose love is eternal and whose power is unrivaled. And his name is Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. Now that's someone to trust in. That's a trick, hey? I mean, if you can write, that's somebody who died for our benefit, who that death won't even separate us from his love and who conquered the greatest enemy of all, not some nation, but death itself. He conquered death so that nothing can separate us from his love. So in conclusion, the resurrection replaces Grief, fear, and mistrust with hope, love, and faith. The resurrection replaces a life that's characterized by grief and fear and mistrust with having a living hope, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts for eternity, with a love that will never fail, pure love demonstrated, in the ultimate sacrifice of dying on a cross in faith, where now we've realized that it's unwise to trust in ourselves or someone else or to trust in luck, but we trust in Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. Again, John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So here's what I think faith or trust or belief, whatever word you want to use, here's what it looks like. It looks like personally trusting God as your hope and as your ultimate source of love. And what's being offered you tonight is a very simple invitation. We've all tried to hope in all kinds of things, haven't we? I remember I graduated from uh, UBC way too long ago. And uh, I remember I, I wasn't, for some reason, I wasn't able to make the graduation. 
and uh, I, I graduated as a shop teacher. And uh, I remember getting the, 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 the certificate, a, a bachelor's of education, five years, you know. And I look at this thing that came in the mail, and I go, that's it? <laughs> I busted my butt for five years. <laughs> like, that's it. That's what I got. Okay. All righty. Here we go. You know, do you hope for that ultimate job? Is that what you're hoping in? That ultimate person that's going to complete you? Faith is trusting God to be our hope and our ultimate source of love. As I told you, the first time I ever heard that, I decided to follow Jesus and make him my life leader because it was just so obviously true to me. It was just obviously true. Who else can compare to a God who has risen from the dead and still lives now in the world through his Holy Spirit? This is absolutely incredible. We're going to uh, we're going to continue in worship, and I would like to pray for us. Um, some of you have have known Jesus for a very long time. Others of you have have yet to be introduced, and you've yet to decide to to trust Him, to be your ultimate hope and ultimate love. Wherever you find yourself, it's all good. The one thing that's true for all of us is today we get to choose again. Who, is, who are we going to hope in? Whose love are we going to rely upon? Let's pray together. Jesus, I find it so comforting that I get to pray to a God that's not dead. This isn't a therapeutic moment, venting my feelings or thoughts. This is us speaking to you because you're alive. You rose from the dead. Buddha is not alive. Muhammad is not alive. You and many of those who we loved are still are not with us anymore. So we speak to you with great humility, thanking you that you would choose to leave heaven, to come to earth, to dwell among us, and to offer us an eternity with the source of love. So God, I ask that you would give us, that you would calm our fears and that you would give us the grace to say yes to your invitation. That you are the safest life leader that exists. And that you would, that, that you would give us the grace to be able to recognize the truth of that. And to choose you for the first time or again today. Father, we're sorry for running after so many other hopes. So many other loves. Trusting in so many other things that just end up crumbling under the weight of expectations. So today we choose to trust in you, to recognize that you are who you say you are.